At this time, we're going to um, introduce Marty Robbins, who's our guest speaker today. This is the first time I've been in this church, and this is not the first time I've been in this town. I've been in this town several times before, but this is the first time I've been at this church uh, in a speaking. Thank you, in a speaking aspect especially. I'm a uh, fifth and sixth grade teacher at Redwood Adventist Academy in Santa Rosa. I've been teaching there for about 33, 34 years. Taught seventh and eighth grade there, as well as teaching now third, fifth and sixth grade. Also taught some of the high school classes. In addition to that, over the years, I have occasionally spoken at church services as the pastor or as the preacher for the day. As uh, probably the year 1999 to 2000 occurred, I started speaking more and more because the conference started needing more and more speakers because you have like you have here where you have a pastor with more than one church, so they need speakers. And particularly since the last Sabbath of 2007, I've spoken every Sabbath somewhere. Once in a while, two somewheres. Occasionally, three somewheres on a Sabbath. And what I'm going to talk about this morning will give you a flavor for why I do that. I'll sing a song for special music right now, and uh, I'll give you this back. You know, there is a family that I know here. I'm not sure if I see them right now. The Westcots, are they here? Oh, where are you? Okay. Okay, so I know Gary and Erica real well. When Gary was a youth pastor at Santa Rosa Church, that's how I got to know him. He came... He became all so, somewhat like an adopted son of our family. Became very special to my daughters, especially my younger one. He was the one who performed the ceremony for my younger daughter's marriage. And um, <clears throat> Gary, over the years, has tried to get away from me because he keeps moving around and he doesn't leave me his phone number. So I do what I can to call him, as you well know, because I've called you to find out and to get a hold of Gary when he was here last time. So he's gone very a lot of places, and he suddenly gets a phone call from me. And I've told Gary, I say, you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> <clears throat> I've had the privilege of going and speaking at a couple of his churches when he was in Texas the first time. And when he was up in Wenatchee, I was able to go up there and do some speaking with him and trying to talk him into letting me come to his churches now. So anyhow, special friend of mine, both the family. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is a flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of 
He was pierced for our transgressions, he was trust for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. We are healed by your sacrifice and the life that you gave. We are healed, for you paid the price. By your grace, we are saved. We are saved. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was trusted for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds, by his wounds. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Albert, we've seen each other another time before. Didn't you come down from Fort Bragg and meet Gary or something at uh, Walmart in Santa Rosa? Good place to meet people at Walmart. The title of the sermon is Actively Looking Forward. And I think you'll see why I'm going to use the term looking forward. By the way, you're the couple who did Sabbath School Day, right? And I heard, he, Dean, you said something. They've been in Costa Rica? Yes. Where have you been in Costa Rica? At what town? Okay. Well, I've been there once. I've been to Honduras twice, once to help build a church with our school, and once to do an evangelistic series to Share Him in Tegucigalpa. But I've also been, the last time I did an evangelistic series with Share Him was in Costa Rica. And we stayed in Alauela, and that's where we did our series in the town of Alauela. Oh, okay. Um, from Alauela, kind of going kind of southish. Yes. Seems to me there was a town that we visited there one day that is very well known for. In fact, in the middle of town, they have the, one of these big giant carts, beautifully painted and decorated. You can go to some of the tourist places and find the little carts. So it's nice to have somebody who's been to Costa Rica. That's a beautiful country.
Cassandra at 11.30 at night after going to a social get-together went to sleep. And as she went to sleep, she went to sleep dreaming of the same thing she had been dreaming of, it seems like, countless nights when Sir Selwyn, her knight in shining armor, would come from his palace and come to her little humble town and whisk her away to be her to be his wife. And she went to sleep with those thoughts. When suddenly she heard noise. Somebody was knocking on her front door. What is going on at 11.30 in the morning so early? And so she goes over and she looks outside and there's a whole bunch of people outside of her house and out there by the front door. She's, what is going on? So she reaches in and grabs the bathrobe and puts it on because she didn't want to cause another spectacle and came downstairs and opened the door and there was Sir Selwyn with his assistant. And his assistant speaks and says, Sir Selwyn is traveling about the towns looking for that lady who will be his wife. And we know about you. May we come and visit you. She says, oh, oh, certainly, come in, come in. I'll be with you in a minute. She goes charging up the stairs. And she starts going through her closet trying to find that. See, she had planned to have a certain dress that she wanted to wear when she met him. But she just never got around to making it. And so she goes through the closet. Oh, how about this one? Ooh, too low cut. How about this one? Ooh, dress is too high. How about this one? And Oh, if I, this looks good. If I hold my hand just right, it'll hide that stain. So she pulled the dress out and ironed it. And then she did something that all women have to do, according to Tim Taylor in Home Improvement. She had to go in front of the mirror and put her face on. Because apparently women are born without faces. So every day they have to put their face on, as they say. So she did this. And she got her hair all fluffy and she looks just right. So she comes down the stairs and sits down and talks with Sir Selwyn and his assistant. Well, it was an interesting conversation because Sir Selwyn's conversations and the assistant were kind of up in this sphere of things. And she was used to the party chatter, soap opera stuff. And, you know, that's what she was used to talking about. So finally, Sir Selwyn uh, says, well, I'm looking for someone who will take care of my house and take care of my servants. And she thought that would be nice as she looked around the house and saw the... The dust on everything. She said, it would be nice to have someone take care of the house. And they talked a little longer and Sir Selwyn says, I have very big, beautiful gardens and I want someone also who will help to direct the people to take care of the gardens. Well, she thinks about the rose bushes that are dying outside and the lawn that looks like the Amazon jungle and she says, oh, it would be nice to have the flowers taken care of. And then she realized, you guys must have had a long ride down on the dusty roads here. Let me get you something to drink. I said, oh, that would be nice. So she goes and she opens up the refrigerator. And boy, there's not much to choose from. Oh, there's some Kool-Aid. But there's this kind of little thin crust on the top. She said, oh, that wouldn't be good. So finally, she just brought some, as she dusted off the glasses and brought some water out to him. Well, they talked a little bit longer. And finally, Sir Selwyn looked at his assistant, nodded his head, and the assistant said, yes. He says, my dear, it's time for Sir Selwyn and I to go and continue our search for a wife. And she goes, well, but, but I thought, but 
me, I, uh, dear, you're so beautiful. And I'm sure most of the men in town would like nothing more than to have you with your beauty. But she said, well, the men in the town, they're, they're just, just so boring and crude. She says, I've just been dreaming of Sir Selwyn to come. And the assistant took her hand so gently and spoke so gently and said to her, my dear, if you had spent half the time preparing as you did dreaming, you would have been twice as prepared when we came. Oof. Talk about a punch in the gut. But a chilling direct statement to that woman and a chilling statement to us. For you see, what are we doing in preparation for Jesus' coming? Are we just waiting and dreaming and hoping? Are we actively doing something about it? See, as a church, we have Adventists in our church, which should signify that we're looking and thinking and contemplating and want Jesus to come back. But what are we doing about it? You know, at Jesus' first coming, I can only count five, seven people who were ready. At his first coming, seven people. Who are they? The three wise men, Simeon and Anna. You can read about them in Luke 2. And I guess you could say Mary and Joseph because they were told ahead of time. That's it, seven. Everybody else went right over their head. What about today? More and more Christian churches are talking about Jesus coming back. You can see it on the TV. But the question is, what are we doing about it? I mean, you have a mission statement as you walk out your door. (laughs) That's a mission field out there. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples are there watching Jesus ascend up into heaven. And the angels came in and said an interesting statement. They said, why do you stand there looking up into the sky? And you know, if the disciples had stood there and continued to look up in the sky for Jesus to come back, you never would have had Acts 2. And you would have had not probably had the book of Acts. So maybe the same question comes across to us this morning. Are we just looking up at the sky, or are we doing something? Peter talks a lot about it. And I have two sermons that Peter gives on end time, uh, on talking about getting ready for the second coming. And today, I'm just going to read you right now the scripture that's in your uh, Bible, or in your uh, bulletin. And this is another sermon another time. But Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is near, He wrote this 2,000 years ago. I wonder what he'd say now. The end of all things is near, therefore. Now, anytime you read that phrase, something, something, therefore, you want to keep reading to find out what it's there for. And you can read 7 through 11 on your own to find out what he has to say. He says some very important things for us about getting ready. But that's not where my sermon is this morning. My sermon this morning is going to be from 2 Peter. So just turn over a page. 2 Peter chapter 3 specifically 11 through 14, but we're going to look at 1 through 14 to get the background. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. Christians can anticipate and prepare for Jesus' second coming by looking forward in three steps. This morning, I want to look at three steps, and I'm kind of introducing you a little bit to what, how I speak 
Because I always tell you what I'm talking about, and I'm always going to keep telling you what I'm talking about through the sermon. So you walk out of here without having any questions about what I'm talking about. And I usually keep things in three points. Because if I put things in 25 points, you'll forget the first, next 23. Three points. We can get ready and we can actively look forward. Now, that's an important phrase that you'll see three times in this series of scriptures. We can actively look forward and prepare for Jesus' coming by looking forward in three steps. How much is heaven our goal? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand and answer. But think, how much is heaven our goal? We live in this earth and it's so messed up. And some of you are suffering physically. And you say, I'm tired of this. How much is heaven our goal? You see, when we go on a vacation like Hawaii or Europe or somewhere, there is a preparation. Um, guy had a wife and they were going to Hawaii and she, for a numpteenth time. She said, oh, i got to go get a bathing suit. And he says, why? You have a whole, we get one every time we go, why? And she says, because I wore those other ones last time. And he goes, who's going to remember? Who's going to see you from last time? See, us guys, we don't understand, do we, women? We wear the same bathing suit we had in high school. Just maybe a little bigger. But you see, when we go on a vacation, we go somewhere, there is a preparation. You know, you, you have to make sure if you go out of the country, people go to the country, have your passport. You might not get back in. Want to make sure you have the correct medicines. You go to Costa Rica, other places like that, have the correct medicines. Uh, correct clothing. Airline tickets. You just can't go down and hitch a ride on an airline. You have to make reservations ahead of time. Hotels. <laughs> you don't book the hotel, plan to live under a bridge. Rental car. One time I went back east, didn't get a rental car. So I decided to get one then. They didn't have any available. What's up with that? We make reservations for special events. See, we do all this preparation for earthly events what about heaven, the most important event? See, we can't, just can't be like Cassandra who was just kind of flying by the seat of her pants and because she got sh- caught short, oh, way short. So our lesson this morning, our sermon starts in Second Peter. And let me kind of run into the... We like to get a running start into our sermon today. Peter says in Second uh, Peter 3.1, he says, I hope that what I'm going to talk to you about will stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I prayed this morning that what I'm going to talk about will stimulate us to wholesome thinking. He's going to talk about words that the holy prophets had talked about. Because he says in verse 3, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Now, he didn't say golfers. He said scoffers. Sounds kind of similar. A scoffer is somebody who has doubt on steroids. I mean, they just don't kind of doubt. Big time doubt. For example, if you come up to a scoffer and say, well, you know, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution this year. I'm going to eat less less chocolate. And the person, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you can't even walk past seas without, you know, having an overdose. Gosh, sure, yeah. Or you say, I make a resolution this year. I'm going to go out and get exercise. And they say, you, couch potato, you, you move. That's a scoffer. Not very uplifting, are they? And this is what they were scoffing about. Verse 4. 
Where is this coming, he promised. I'd like to suggest that in our Adventist church that's been talking for about 160-some years about Jesus coming back, you might have people say, he's not coming back. When's he coming back? Sometimes in our church, we live so much for the here and now that it seems like we don't care if he comes back. And so we might be like verse 4. Where is this coming? And they, they go through and they talk about verse 5 has something very interesting in the NIV. It says, for they deliberately forgot. Wow. This is the scoffers. Deliberately forgot that Jesus was the creator. They talk about the flood. They talk about by his word. He, sends, he, he created the world. They talk about the destruction of the world. Then in verse 8, another thing they seem to be forgetting is his character. For they say, where is this coming about Jesus? When's he going to come? Well, verse 9 tells us why maybe we should be thankful he hasn't come yet. For it says, he is not slow in keeping his promise, but he is patient. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants all to come to repentance. Jesus hasn't come back yet because a lot of people aren't ready. In and out of the church. In and out of the church. So this is the attitude that he was dealing with. And see, Jesus is not going to wait forever because verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and he talks about the heavens being destroyed and everything being destroyed. This was the attitude that P Peter was dealing with in his time 2,000 years ago. Wonder what he'd say now. And then with that background in verse 11, Peter asked the question of the hour. A question that weaves itself, the question that works its way and permeates itself through this sermon, much like the skunk smell after you've run out of over a skunk on the road. <laughs> you've gone by the skunk and it just keeps, the, the smell just keeps following you. Somehow it got in your car. How did that happen? Because verse 11, he says, because of what he just said, since everything's going to be destroyed in this way, he asks this question. You see it? What kind of people ought we to be? Jesus is coming back. So a question, by the way, when I preach a sermon, I'm just talking to myself, you're eavesdropping. What kind of people should I be? What kind of person should I be? What am I supposed to be like? See, when I went to do a share hymn in Honduras and Costa Rica, and then the other one I did was in Dominican Republic, they always start on Friday night. They want you to get there on Wednesday. So first of all, you kind of aren't, you know, so sleepy because you probably been up all night flying. But they spend most of Thursday getting you prepped for that country. How you act, what you do, what you wear. First time I did evangelistic series in a foreign country, it was in Dominican Republic in June. It was hot. <laughs> hot. So I said, well, do I wear my coat the whole time? They said, well, this is what you do. You get up with your coat. And then you say, you know, people, you look so comfortable out there. Would it be okay if I took my coat off? And people go, ah, yeah, sure. Take my coat off, never have to wear it the rest of the time. But they tell you these kind of things. What things you do, do say, don't say. They were telling me what kind of people I need to be when I'm preaching so I don't have me get in the way. So we asked the question, what kind of people ought you to be? I said this morning that we could prepare and anticipate Jesus coming by looking forward in three steps. Number one, we should look forward through our actions. Look at how he answers the question. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, godly lives. 
Hmm. We should live holy, godlike lives. Now, what he didn't say there, what kind of people ought you to be? You should be giving your tithe and reading your Bible, and you should be, you know, he didn't list a bunch of things we do, which are all good. He said we should live holy, godly lives. How do we do that? Now, I could spend the next year, three, every Sabbath, so that's three times 52, 100, 156 Sabbaths, explaining how to be holy and godly. There's plenty of information in the Bible that we could just pick apart each Sabbath. We don't have time to do that this way. Well, well that clock says it's 4.15. Boy, have I talked a long time. I guess I should ignore it. How do we live holy God in life? I'll just give you a thumbnail. Here are three or four verses that help me out. The first one is James 4, 7 and 8. That says, Submit yourself before the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to me and I will come near to you. Submit yourself before the Lord. I need to do that every day. I do that every day. Before I get out of bed in the morning, I reach over, hit the alarm, not the alarm, but the music to turn off, and then I start praying. Say, God, I give you my life today. Do it every day. Sometimes I change it up because God probably gets tired of, I know what you're going to say. So I say, okay, God, I'm going to say this this morning. I'm going to say the Gibeonite's prayer of Joshua 9.25 that says, I'm in your hands. Do whatever seems right and good. Imagine if we said that every morning before we got out of bed. God, I'm in your hands. Do whatever seems right and good. God says, all right. Boy, I got some things for you. Submit yourself before the Lord, and Satan takes off. He doesn't want to be around us when Jesus is with us. The next verse is uh, Luke 9.23 that says this. If anyone wants to follow me, he should do three things. Deny himself. When you're submitting to, your, to God in James 4.7, you're denying yourself. Deny yourself. Take up the cross daily. Again, we come to the cross every day. We spend that thoughtful hour and we get up in the morning before we've turned on CNN or anything else. We check the weather channel. We sit down and we start reading the Bible and God speaks to us. And we maybe read, reminded of what he did for us at the cross. And we're just feeling kind of down today. I better go back and see what Jesus, oh, that's what he did at the cross. For me, that should make my day. Deny yourself, take up the cross daily, and Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. When we spend that thoughtful hour, Jesus changes us. It's like he's passed by that morning and we grab him. Just like Bartimaeus, a whole nother sermon, a whole nother time, but Bartimaeus, when Jesus was walking by and blind Bartimaeus says, what's going on? And the people say, shh, shh, it's Jesus. Jesus, and he starts yelling and screaming. Say, shut up, shut up, it's Jesus, don't bother him. And he yells even louder. And then when Jesus healed him, the Bible says he followed him, praising God. Boy, there's a lesson right there. Following Jesus, praising God. Think about doing that. Now, the next thing, next verse is Matthew 7, 21. Well, actually, 21 to 23. But 21, he says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Ooh. That's 7, 21 to 23 is a tough one because it speaks to us who sit in church every week acting like we're saying, Lord, Lord. But if we're not doing the will of the Father, it's just we're just on a treadmill going nowhere. 
You know, when you run, a, run and walk on a treadmill, you don't go anywhere. Stay in the same room, stay in the same location. So we need to do the... So, submitting, denying, coming to the cross, doing His will. Now, those are all real nice words. But some people might say, well, those are nice words, but show me it in action. I want to see it in action. Well, if you read Luke 2... 25 to 27, you do read the story about Simeon who stayed at church day after day after day because he was spirit-led and spirit-fed because the Holy Spirit came to him and said, you won't die before you see Jesus. I want to be like a Simeon that's led by the Holy Spirit. Well, when we become holy and godly, it's only obvious that we want to be around someone who is holy and godly. Now, one of my favorite verses, and now I'm, now I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why I'm here this morning and why I've done what I've been doing, especially since the last four years, is this verse and the next one of the next ones I'm going to do. Verse 12. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward. That's the first of three times in my NIV version he uses the word look forward. That's why I use it in my sermon. As you look forward to the day and speed his coming. Did you ever think that you had a part in speeding up Jesus' coming? What really got me going on this is four years ago on December 16, 2007, my wife passed away from cancer. I couldn't cure her. I had no power to do that. Prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. But she passed away from cancer. So I said, okay, God, I couldn't stop it, but according to your verse right here, I can speed up your coming. So I said, have me speak as much as I can. you can. Have me go anywhere. So I've gone to Costa Rica. I've, gone, I've only missed two Sabbaths in the last four years. Probably preached more than any pastor in the entire Northern California Conference. Because I know some cat pastors take the week off. I don't. I've only done it twice. Once because I went backpacking and once because I was in the hospital and they wouldn't let me out. I tried. Because I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to say whatever I can. I want to speed his coming. My daughter says, well, Dad, why don't, you, why don't we put you on a TV program? You can be around the world. Well, that's fine. Who's going to do that? So today, I'm trying to do everything I can to speed his coming to this church. How do we speed his coming? We have, we have a relationship with Jesus that makes it so we can't keep quiet. I love what Peter and John said in Acts 4, verse 20, where when they were dragged before the Pharisees, they said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. They said, I'm sorry, but we cannot keep quiet about what we've seen or heard. Wow. Or, this is a new sermon I'm working on right now, Caleb, who the Bible says had a different spirit and served God wholeheartedly. Three times in the Bible it says Caleb served God wholeheartedly. So I'm thinking, I want to have Caleb's spirit that gave him a passion that at 85 years old, he said, give me, the, give me my land. I'm going to go get it, God. Come on with me. Because he had a different spirit. If every church, how are we doing right now? Yeah, a lot of churches might still be in session. They didn't go home yet. Yeah, yeah. 
some churches that might just be starting the sermon. If every church in Northern California Conference at that moment and everybody in the Northern California Conference who is sitting in a church right now had the same spirit of Caleb and had the same spirit of Peter and John who said, we can't keep quiet, what do you think would happen? Think about that. People say, get this sermon over with, Pastor, so I can break out of here and go tell people about Jesus. Can't keep quiet. Have a different spirit. Serve God wholeheartedly. Matthew 24, 14, my other Bible verse. See, Second Peter says, looking forward and speeding is coming. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back. And speeding is coming. And then he says in Matthew 24, 14, when the gospel is preached in all the world, then the end will come. You can almost has a little rhythm to it. When the gospel is preached in all the world, then the end will come. So who's going to do that? Well, Sean Booster can't do it. He's doing something else now. Mark Finley, he's doing something else. He still goes out and preaches. We have, uh, you know, who, who's the new guy? John Bradshaw, who does It Is Written. We've got all these evangelists. You have an evangelist coming pretty soon. But there's only so many evangelists. You know, you and I are evangelists. When the gospel's preached in all the world, who's going to do that? I said, God, I'll do it. Amen. I'll do it. I get the privilege from middle of August until the first week of June, five days a week, having this year 18 young people in front of me to share the gospel for an hour. Now you say, you preach Bible for an hour? No, I don't. I pre- don't preach it. We t- t- teach it, but I have the kids doing several things. I have the kids spending time in the first 15 minutes of the day reading the Bible by themselves quietly. First thing they do when they walk in, reading the Bible. And then we do some worship. And then we get in and study the Bible real thoroughly. When the gospel is preached in all the world... Want to speed is coming? Do that. Want to speed is coming? Do Colossians 3.17 and 1 Corinthians 10.31. This is whatsoever you do or say, eat or drink, do all in the name and glory of Jesus Christ. There is a review article, I think two years ago now. Could be three. I know it was May 22nd. I can't remember if it was 09, 010, 011. That was called Life in the Lion's Den. And it tells what it's like to be a Christian and be a witnessing Christian in the 1040 window. The 1040 window is 10 degrees south latitude, 40 degrees north latitude, where a billion people in the world live. Not a million, a billion people live. And this article tells about how these people have to be able to witness creatively. For example, it tells us one story of this guy who comes to this park, and there's other people at the park, people playing, guys sitting over at some tables doing stuff, and he, this guy sits down and he starts reading. Another guy wanders over and sits down at the other end of the bench like this, and they just talk, like, you know, they're talking about the weather. And they talk for a while, back and forth, you know. And then this guy who's been first there gets up and he leaves. A little bit later, the other guy leaves. They just had a Bible study. But you wouldn't know it. The casual observer, because out there at some of these other tables were people who were spies looking to see if anybody's out telling people about Jesus. So they have to do it covertly. <laughs> Almost like you're watching a spy game or something. We don't have to do that, do we? We can, we can. What was the thing you said? Put one of these. Where did you say those little? You said in the coat pocket, but where? Oh, so when you go and try on a coat, I'll go. You in the back room. Like that. I like that idea. I have to remember that. I'm gonna have to go try out some more coats lately. <laughs> another sermon, another time is what I love. What Peter says. Peter's hot on this subject. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, Set aside Christ in your heart. 
Always be prepared. This is 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for your hope. Do we have hope? Boy, if we didn't have hope, we might as well fold up and go home. Watch the golf channel or something. But we have hope. Jesus is coming back. This world is not all there is. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Always be prepared. Philemon says, Paul says, be active in sharing your faith. The Christian walk is just that, an action. But for many people in many churches, it's the Christian sit. So SDA in some churches stands for sitting, discussing, and atrophying. <laughs> See, really. That's why some churches are just downsizing. SDA should be standing for seeking, discipling, and accepting. Step number one, looking forward to our actions. Step number two, looking forward to receiving a new home. A new home. For he says here in verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth, the home of righteousness. John 14, Jesus says that he's up making a mansion for us. And of course, all he has to do is speak and it happens. So people say, well, how come we don't go there then? What's the delay? Oh, I forgot to tell you something. I'll tell you one of the things Jesus is looking for. I knew I was going to forget reading that little quote. So put that on hold for a minute. Here's a quote from the 5th and 6th grade Bible book, which is no longer used. They have a new series, but I don't use the new series. I like the old series. Adapted from Christ's object lessons. Now, you might have heard this before, but I like how it's written here. And I gave one of these to all the kids about a couple weeks ago to put in their Bible. Growth can come when you forget selfish interest and help others. There is a holy godly action. As you receive the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, like Simeon did, you will grow. Your faith will increase. The Spirit will give you power to grow, become more responsible, loving, powerful, gentle, Kind, trusting. Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit. Now here's, here's the kicker. Christ is waiting with a long desire for His people to look and act more like Him. When they become like Him, He will come to claim them as His harvest. Boy, that really... I read that and I just get... Every day, so ever since we've read that two or four weeks ago in Bible... Almost every day or at least once a week we keep coming back to that statement. The kids have it in the Bible. They can pull it out. I'll ask a question about that. What's Jesus want us to be like? The kids now got it in their head. We need to be like him. How do we do that? Well, that's what we're studying Bible about. That was, well, in Christ's Object Lessons is page uh, 67 to 79. But they took ideas and put it into one paragraph. That's why I like it. So in John 14, Jesus has gone to prepare a mansion for us. It says in Revelation 21.4, he's, he's making a new heaven and new earth for the old heaven and the old earth has passed away. But see, this is, heaven's going to be more than just buildings. It's going to be more than just a, a mansion. He says, looking forward to a new heaven, new earth, the home of righteousness. We don't live on this earth in the home of righteousness. Now you may have a righteous heart. Your home may be a Christian home, but as soon as you walk out in the public, you're no longer in a home of righteousness. So we're looking forward to heaven where the atmosphere will be different. 
there'll be no spiritual culture shock. A home of righteousness. Hmm. There's a story that my kids do as a drama play where this girl comes to heaven and she meets her guardian angel and the guardian angel takes her around to places in heaven to her mansion, to her her home out in the country. And as she's doing this, the girl says, well, can't we have, can I have a bigger TV? And, and how about diamonds around the window? And so the guardian angel's out there, you know, writing down, writing down, writing down. They go here. Do I have to live next to her? We didn't get along on earth. She's going to be my neighbor forever. Boob Mary. And so on. But, and so they're walking along. But she says, by the way, how long do we have to worship on Sabbath? Walking along, we're in the malls. I didn't see any mall anywhere. What's so finally, the angel puts the pad in pocket and doesn't say much. She says, you're not writing anything. What's up? And the angel says, you know, Jesus has spent a long time preparing heaven for you. And, and, and you just don't seem to like it. She says, well, well can't he make a few changes? I mean, sure, he can make a few changes. And she says, you just don't seem to be on the same page. And, and the girl says, well, 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 give me some time. Give me a couple hundred years. We have time, don't we? And then the angel made this statement. Kind of like that statement in the opening story. She says, but that's what your life has been about, to change. That's why we're here today, to change. Holy, godly lives. 1 John 3, 2 says, we are children of God. It's not made known what we will be like, but when he appears, we will be like him. New heaven, new earth. All things, he says in Revelation 21.5, all things will be made new. The old is gone. The new will come. Everything that robs us of peace on this earth will be gone in heaven. Wouldn't that make us get really anxious about wanting to be there and tell people about it? So step number two, looking forward to receiving a new home. So we said looking forward through our actions, looking forward to receiving a new home. Step number three, Looking forward by developing a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, isn't that what you've been talking about the whole time? Yeah. But now he says it a little bit more. Because again, that question that's been like that skunk smell going through the sermon is, what kind of people ought we to be? So now he answers it in verse 14. Follow along with me. So then, or in conclusion... Since you are looking forward, there's the third time he's used that phrase, looking forward. Since you are looking forward to this, what's to this? Since you are looking forward to being holy, godly, speeding is coming, a new home, home of righteousness. Then he says maybe the most three most important words of the entire phrase. Make every effort. Not make a 50% effort, an effort every other day, or be Seventh-day Adventist as opposed to Seven-day Adventist, as some people say. Make every effort to do what? To be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. And you go, what? Because you see, we already realize we've already messed up. All are sinners. None are righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10 says. 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6 says, we like sheep have all gone astray. 
Isaiah 64, 6 says, even our good our righteousness are like filthy rags before Jesus. <laughs> How can I be spotless and blameless and at peace with God? I've messed up already. But I have good news. Want good news? Two people said. Nobody said anything. Do you want good news? Good news? Okay. Billy Graham, when he was uh, just starting his uh, going to school, he worked as a fuller brush salesman. And his pitch when he came to the door, he'd knock on the door, he'd have that nice smile, and he says, I have good news for you. I have something that will change your life. Now, it was just fuller brush. We have something more important. I have good news for you. If you're sitting there saying, oh, man, I messed up. See, this is sort of like we've been going through a travel list. Check. Do this. Check. Do this. Check. Be found spotless and blameless. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we say to God, God, I messed up. And God says, I know you messed up. Let me tell you about it. God says, you don't have to tell me about it. I know already you messed up. Well, what are we going to do about it? God says, you've just done it. What? You've told me you messed up. That's confessing. That's agreeing with confession. Confession means you're agreeing with God. See, when they get a criminal and they get him in that little room, you know, with the little 10 watt light bulb, you know, and they put the milk, the thing of milk on the thing, but there's no milk in it. <laughs> Got milk, you know, that commercial. And they say, okay, tell us. They say, okay, I confess. We know, we got the evidence. Okay, everybody agrees. If we confess our sins, Jesus says, he is faithful, even when we weren't. He is just and fair. He will forgive us of our sins. And then the next thing that we always kind of forget, he cleans us up. Kind of like what I do with the whiteboard at the end of every day is I spray the stuff on it and get rid of all the stuff that's on it. Sometimes I don't do it. I only do it once a week, so my kids will say, Mr. Robbins, I can still see what you wrote in Bible over there on Wednesday. That's true. Hmm. Here's a great, here's a great text about confessing sins. An interesting story and a great text. The story goes about a man who he had this thing about praising God. He did it. He did it. He praised God all the time. And he had this guy who wasn't a real strong Christian. He was tired of this guy saying, always going, praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, praise God. So he had him come to his office one day. He was a doctor, and he says, look, i got to do something in my office real quick here while we go somewhere else. So you just sit down. I have a book for you. You read it, and if you can find something in there to praise God about, you go ahead and let her rip. He went to his room to take care of things. He says, that'll keep him occupied, keep him shut up for a while. And suddenly, within about a minute or two, he hear the guy say, all right, praise God, hallelujah, praise God. And the guy comes out and says, what could you have found in that geology book to praise God about? He says, right here, it says that there's a place off the Philippine Islands called the Mariana Trench that's about 28,000 feet deep. So why is that important? He says, Micah 7, 19, 20 says, God takes my sins and sends them to the depths of the sea. Think about it. 28,000 feet of water on that. It ain't coming back up. No wonder he could praise God, right? Listen to what... Psalms 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. 103 verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Praise God for that. Gets better. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Aren't you happy for that? It gets better. He does not treat us as our sins deserve 
or repay us according to our iniquities. Amen. And then Casting Crowns, the Christian uh, contemporary Christian singing group, has a song. In fact, I heard it on the way over here. As far as the east is from the west. And their song says, the distance between the east and the west is from one scar to another. See, Jesus takes our sins. He says, I'm going this way. You go that way. Separates us from our sin. Isn't that good news? Great news. So there is hope. We can be spotless and blameless. He will clean us up. There's a song in your hymnal called Nothing Between My Soul and My Savior. Won't be. God will take care of it. Ken Davis, who's a very famous, well-known speaker and Christian comedian and Christian youth speaker and so on, tells a story about his dad who was a prisoner of war in the Philippines during World War II. And as it was getting closer and closer, the Americans were coming to take over the Japanese. The Japanese started pulling the prisoners out, taking them out to the rice field, telling them to kneel down and and shooting them like that, assassinating them. And that day came when Mr. Davis was hauled out there. And, you know, you just have seconds, minutes, moments to think about your life passing before us, before it. And he threw him down there. And he was trying to, you know, get things right with God. And he felt this terrible blow hit him in the back of the head. And he fell down face first. But he was still thinking. He was still alive. They just took and hit him with the the butt of the rifle and knocked him down. They didn't do anything to him. Because it was near sundown and they had this thing about killing people after sundown. Had evil spirits will come out or something. So they just left him there. But he knew, uh-oh, they're going to get me tomorrow. So he spent that whole night praying and bringing up everything wrong he had ever could ever remember. He had been raised as a Christian but had kind of wandered around way as many people do. He was doing a lot of things. He was making peace with God that night. Because he says, at peace with God, Peter says. The next morning, the Japanese were gone. That's why he could tell the story. But he was at peace with God. See, Peter says, make every effort to be at peace with God. I can't clean myself up. I can't do it. All I can do is give Jesus my life. One person says, salvation's the easiest thing and the hardest thing. It's easy because Jesus did it. It's hard because we have to accept that Jesus did it rather than trying to do it ourselves. Make every effort, he says. Submit. Come to him. Confess. Making every effort is preparing. I'll finish with this story, because I thought I heard somebody's stomach grumble. Could have been mine. There was this gentleman during the war, World War II, who was at the library, and he found this book. He started reading through the book, but as he was reading through the book, he'd find himself reading the margin because whoever had the book before him wrote these beautiful thoughts in the margin. He goes, wow, that's, wow. And he was so enthralled with what that person wrote that he went back to the library and says, this person checked out this book. How can I get a hold of them? Well, they're not supposed to give that information, but through some wielding of his own, he got who this person was. So he wrote a letter to the person who had had that book and wrote these ideas in there. This nice young lady, he assumed, young lady. And he says, I was really impressed with what you wrote. It just, you touched my heart. He says, I'm going to be going over and going into the war scene soon. Could you write to me? 
So they started a writing relationship. This is before texting and you know iPods and all that stuff. We can't understand how they could have got, ever gotten along during those days. But they did without the iPods and all that. So they formed a relationship. Well, sure enough, he was shipped out across, but she was faithful in writing to him and he was faithful in writing back. Finally, the war ended and he was going to be coming home and he wrote to her and he says, you know, by the way, I don't know what you look like. Could you send me a picture of yourself? And she says, no. She says, I want our relationship to be based on the inside, not on the outside. So they arranged that when he came home, they would meet. They would meet at Grand Central Station at 7 o'clock that evening. And he says, how am I going to know who you are? She says, I will wear a big giant rose right here. Won't miss it. So he got there at 6.40. He was prepared. Had some flowers, small box of candy, got there. And at 7 o'clock, where they were going to meet, he was looking around like this, kind of looking for that red rose, looking like this, you know, crowd of people. And suddenly his eye looked like this, turned, and here comes this lady towards him. And she, her eye catches his eye. Very attractive woman. She walks by, and as she walks by him, she kind of, in a kind of a saucy, pretty way, says, going my way, soldier, and keeps on going. He's going, but there was no red rose. So he says, I wonder where she came from. And then he looks over here where she can't come from, and there is another lady with the red rose. Now, I'm not going to say anything about negative about this lady, but she didn't look like the one who walked by, maybe just a, a little older. Attractive somewhat, but didn't look like the one who walked by. He's going, she's the one who won my heart. She's the one who had been writing to me, kept me going. So he comes over to her and he says, hello. She looks up, has the big red rose. He says, hello. My name is John Blanchard. You are Hollis Manel. May I take you to dinner? And she gets this funny look on her face. She says, I don't know what this is about. He goes, what? She says, that woman who just walked by you took that, that rose and pinned it on me and she said for me to wear it. And she says, if I came over and talked to you and asked you out to dinner, I was supposed to tell you that she would meet you at the restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of a test. See, what Jeb kept John going is he was looking forward to seeing her. What should keep us going is looking forward to Jesus. And we can look forward to him by, because of him, being holy and godly, not by anything we do, looking forward to this new home he's going to take us to. It's going to be an atmosphere of righteousness and looking forward to the fact that he will help us to be spotless, blameless. And this morning we can be at peace with God. And I'd like to suggest that if this happens in our lives, this preparation is done daily, we can't keep quiet when we walk out of our house. We will be grabbing people off the street and say, I got some good news to tell you. See, if we had the cure to cancer, <laughs> if we had the cure to $4 gas prices, but we have something better than that. Let's pray. I ask now, Lord, that you fill our hearts with your love, fill our hearts with anticipation and expectation of your coming. Most important, Lord, fill our hearts with peace.
Father, right now, as we're bowing our heads before you, we want to make peace with you. So, Lord, we confess that we have messed up. We confess to our mistakes. And we ask now, Lord, that you forgive us because you promised. We ask now, Lord, you will cleanse us so we will be spotless and blameless before you. We ask now, and most important, Lord, that as this good news fills our heart, that we will get so excited we can't keep quiet. We'll spread the good news. You have good news in a world that's just unraveling with bad news. Light a fire under each of us in this church, Lord. Bring a revival in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.